You're listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff, and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are I'm you? I'm good. You got a sneaky smile on your face. Sneaky smile on my face because I think I've got a, well, for me, a fun topic to bring up, which is, you know, we've really become, I, I think you and I, to our core, we're conference junkies. We really like to go to conferences. You went to a conference this week, um, and, you know, that was the Navigate conference. But I thought what was really interesting is you're really starting to live the small airport <laughs> life. So, you know, I've been in Augusta, Georgia now for about eight years. Augusta is not a major city in the United States, for those who don't know. Uh, be prior to that, I lived in Charlotte and then in New Jersey. So I had Newark Airport. But I've been doing this, you know, the the commuter shuttle from Augusta to Atlanta. Sometimes I just drive to Atlanta. Um because it's those shuttle flights yep. that there's always something goes wrong with them. So now you've got a new story. So why don't you share it? You're you're living in Nashville, and so you're doing a shuttle. Yeah, it is definitely different. So coming from the Chicago area, O'Hare used to be my main base. And O'Hare is like one of the busiest airports in the world, right? I can get anywhere on one flight. And yeah, it might be busy and sometimes delayed, but it's pretty consistent. Yeah, having moved to Asheville, which is in western North Carolina in the mountains, and I'm a grizzled mountain man, I take a commuter flight from Asheville airport into Atlanta. And yeah, I was coming home last night and I was coming from Austin to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Asheville. And you know, it's a long day of travel, whatever, you know, start to fly into Asheville. We're on our descent. We're about to land. And all of a sudden I noticed the plane banking. I'm like, okay, well like, you know, what happened? You know, why are we turning, you know, like, why are we turning? We should be like going straight, you know, and landing. And this has happened before, you know, one of my flights to Monterey, I might've mentioned in a previous episode, we were about to land and then the pilot's like, oh yeah, we're having to make another turn because there was another plane on the runway. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for that. That's probably a good idea. And so we got, you know, we're kind of wondering what's going on. A pilot comes on and he's like, folks, uh, a little bit of ground problem in Asheville. Uh, there is a plane has crashed on, on the runway. I was like, oh wow, right. That's not good. And we're being, you know, we're, we're going to circle around and figure out what to do. <laughs> uh, and we ended up getting diverted to Greenville, which is a few hours south of the Asheville area. And I guess what happened was a small little like Piper Cub type plane uh, came in for a landing just ahead of us. They were like the plane right before us and they landed and their landing gear failed and basically crash landed and you know, basically took up the entire runway because Asheville only has one runway. So it blocked all air traffic for probably a good three or four hours. Um, you know, I, th they took us to Greenville. Um, they gave us the option and they're like, well, it's going to be at least an hour. So you can either stay on the plane or you can get off and kind of hang around the, um, you know, the, the, the gate there and until they have an ETA um, or, you know, for people who could do it, just go from there wherever they want to. So I chose the last option I was like, all right, I could, you know, play the, you know, can I, I can gamble and maybe the flight will be ready. Like that's a plane crash. Doesn't sound like that's something they're going to clean up <laughs> relatively easy, uh, especially at a small airport like that. So I just, I got an, I got a lift and, you know, went to the app and yeah, two hour lift ride later, I was home. And that was my first, that's been my first real negative experience, I think, where, you know, I'm glad people were okay and people were okay in the, in the, the plane crash, but um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great curveball for the end of a, of a week of travel. And then, you know, you're in your last show and you're literally like descending, <laughs> you're about to land and then you're like, Oh, nope, just kidding. We're going to take you a couple hours South. Yeah. You can almost smell home, but you did a couple of, of things that if you're in this, doing the small airport thing that you never check a yep. bag, never check a bag, do anything you can to avoid checking bag. And then number two, what you did, which I thought was you know, really risky, but really worked out for you was getting the lift. And you said it was only $200 to go two hours, yeah, that right? Tip. That's mind yeah. blowing. That is mind blowing. South is a lot cheaper than Chicago. Let's just say that <laughs> that, that would have probably been like a three or $400 uh, lift in or Uber, you know, equivalent in, in the Chicago area. But yeah, for whatever reason, uh, yeah, I went to Greenville airport, very nice airport. Uh, it's a really nice airport actually. And uh, yeah, my guy, uh, Aram, 
uh, took me uh, from Greenville all the way up to my my place in Nashville. So kudos to him. I certainly tipped well, too, because I know what a pain in the butt that was probably for him, especially like, you know, he's basically two hours out of his area and now he's got to drive back. So I made sure we took care of the guy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, yeah, you know, conference junkies, we obviously had to be in withdrawal for a couple of years during the pandemic, but things are back. Um, you know, I also want to just uh, mention that we are going to a conference the week after next, which is the FIDO Authenticate Conference. We're going to podcast from there, hoping to put together four or five episodes while we're there at the conference. So we're going to have another one of those, you know, splurges or binges of content. So everybody look forward to that, you know, getting hit with those almost daily or, or maybe even daily episodes for about a week. I'll do my best. Um, and then <laughs> <laughs> it's easy for me to make these promises because I don't have to do all the editing. I just have right, to show you're just up. a pretty face. <laughs> um, just, a, just a pretty face on the audio only <laughs> podcast. Um, and then we've got the Octa Octane conference that we're doing in November, you know, goals to do the same thing there. Um, and, you know, kind of topic of conversation today, I wanted to give a thank you to uh, Identity OG uh, Jackson Shaw, who's now over at Clear Sky, uh, for making the introduction to our guest today. So he's Gary Rowe. He's a longtime Identity OG himself. For those who don't know, OG is original gangster, which <laughs> it's kind of a funny term when you add it to something like identity, but it's funny because I was talking to Gary and we were talking about a conference called Digital Identity World, which was like my first identity management conference all the way back in 2006. I went to it and it was just like such a great event. Um, you know, Kim Cameron was there giving his, uh, giving his laws of identity. It was brand new at the time. So, you know, just really good memories. But, um, you know, I, th I know we're going to get into conferences and all today, so I'll stop talking about it and hand it back to you, all right, Jeff. Yeah, well, you, let's let's go ahead and introduce the man, the myth, the legend. He is Gary Rowe. He's the founder, CEO, and principal consulting analyst at Tech Vision Research. Welcome to the show officially, Gary. Well, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I thank Jackson for the for the intro, and I'm excited to talk about the area. I think we all mutually love. So let's let's get into the Chrysalis Conference in a minute. Because first, I want to find out more about Gary, the identity person. Tell me how you got into the identity and access management space. Is it something that you chose, or did you find that it actually chose you? You know, it's it's kind of a combination of things. Um, you know, it's funny you're talking about the the early days in the you know 2005 six time frame. My early days were were many many years or decades earlier in the space. And you know, one of the things since early in my career, I uh, always seemed to track was what was the next big thing. And it started with kind of the shift from mainframes to mini computers. It was with Data General and Digital Equipment Corporation. And then it was the movement um, to PCs. And although I didn't work for a PC vendor, it dawned on me that, darn, all of these things need to be harnessed. They need to connect to one another. Still pre-internet, um, at least commercial use of of, of the internet. And um, so I got involved in network operating systems and a lot of those kinds of things. And um, then I was in the, and this is all, you know, 80s. And so late 80s, I was director of core technology at AT&T um, that was making a foray into the public messaging market. And if you're doing email, uh, you have to have directories, and that was part of my team. And so we looked at directory services uh, across all of the carriers. And I participated, I was AT&T's rep to this thing called the North American Directory Forum. And, um, uh, uh, and there was a consultancy that was actually chairing that 
called Rapport Communication that had Ted Meyer chairing it and Dan Bloom. And I joined them, left AT&T as an identity messaging consultant throughout the 90s. And, and Rapport got a pretty good name in the industry, got involved with uh, a lot of the early directory technologies, directory integration technologies, meta directories, a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, and then my company merged with Burton Group in 1998. And uh, I took over as president shortly thereafter. And, uh, you know, we chatted about Digital ID World. We had our own conference that was pretty well known in the identity circles called Catalyst. And so we, we ran that. I was there for 12 years through the, um, uh, through the acquisition by Gartner, was then co-president of what Gartner calls now Gartner for Technical Professionals, along with Jamie Lewis. And, um, but in the Burton Group days, you know, I think we made some real marks in identity and uh, uh, looked at uh, areas like um, the formalization of schemas relative to LDAP. And we looked at areas such as um, the Liberty Alliance and Federation and standardization on SAML and actually incorporated a lot of those things both into our research or advocacy and, and our conference. So fast forward, left Gartner and uh, actually uh, was involved with a uh, startup company because I had a long-term non-compete, uh, was involved with the startup company that um, called Respect Network. I was their CEO and then chairman that got acquired uh, by or, or merged with Evernim and got acquired uh, by Avast recently in the decentralized identity space. Um, when I kind of closed out that chapter, uh, I formed another research company, and that's TechVision Research. And, um, you know, I felt that, you know, it kind of sounds funny to say this, but I felt that um, subsequent to the sale of Burton Group, to Gartner, we created a bit of a gap in the market. <laughs> I wanted to fill that gap with, with TechVision, including the conference Chrysalis that, that, that I know we'll chat about. So, so that was kind of my journey. I, um, um, I, I've had the opportunity under TechVision being a smaller company to get much more back into the analyst and the consulting roles and a lot of those kinds of things as Burton Group grew you know, I, for, for years, I was kind of the business guy driving our growth and doing a lot of those kinds of things. So I'm having a lot of fun now uh, with our company. And can, can I say a few words about TechVision? Yeah, I was going to ask you, because for people who aren't familiar with TechVision, you know, what is, uh, you mentioned research group, and there's there's obviously, you know, players in this space, but tell us what TechVision does. Sure. Uh, it, my vision with TechVision from the beginning was what Jamie and I started at Burton Group circa 1998, 1999, 2000, which was to take great consultants and great analysts and bring them together. And so with TechVision, I've had the opportunity to do that from the beginning because, you know, if you just do research, you can be very, um, you're analytical, but you don't necessarily get a full understanding of what's happening on the ground, right? How things get done in large organizations. If you're a just a consultancy, uh, you know you're not getting the things that we get in terms of regular vendor briefings. Uh, do do the primary research, write the reports, and so forth. So everyone on our team is very senior. Um, much like me, not just in age, but in terms of experience. But we, uh, but we have equal parts, the, the kind of pragmatic, on-the-ground consulting work. We're, we're in the middle of doing a project with uh, a large healthcare provider. And some of the insights there are actually going into a research report. We're in the process of writing uh, with the, about the Microsoft Entra. Uh, offering because they were at some decision points with respect to that. So we did a lot of research, 
we'll package that and our perspective into um, uh, our research reports. We see that as very synergistic. And then the third leg uh, on the stool is, is developing a conference. And, you know, from the conference side, it's been a little tricky. You know, I just, so we did our inaugural conference in November of 2019 and made commitments to do it. I was going to grow it every year and, and, and do it for, for several years and then obviously couldn't. couldn't. Uh, so this will be only our second in-person conference. Last year we did one virtually. The first year in, in 2020, we, we didn't do either. So, that, so there was a bit of a gap. But the ability to bring uh, this community together. And I can talk a little bit as this proceeds about some of the speakers, you know, for a relatively small intimate event, I'm just thrilled with the quality of, of just experts in identity and security and privacy and governance, you know, we've been able to, to attract. Yeah. I'm sure it's pretty humbling. Look, just looking at the list, it's like household names in our industry, right? Um, it, I thought you brought up such an interesting point there about consulting and versus being an analyst or a research, because Jeff and I have been doing um, strategic advisory together for over five years. And what we always say is that when you go in and you're in that advisory situation, your clients expect you to know everything, right? You, you need to understand how their business works. Yeah how you know all all the nuances of modern IT plus legacy IT as well as know every product in the marketplace and i think we did a pretty good job of you know making sure we were jack of all trades but let's be real nobody knows everything so uh definitely that point that you made resonated so so um gary now you're the ceo of tech vision research and you put on this conference called the chrysalis conference the first question that came to my mind was, how did you come up with the name Chrysalis? Well, it, it's, um, um, it, it, there's, there's kind of two aspects to it. The, the, the first one, and the reason I even knew or thought about the term, was it, it sounds like you guys are both in the Southwest. Uh, I lived in, in the Atlanta area in Roswell for, for a long period of time. I'm in San Diego now. But um, we had our kids in a private school, and it was called the Chrysalis Experiential Academy. <laughs> and, you know, it was based on this concept that, you know, kids learn a lot more with experience. So they infused a lot of things into the program, a very, very small school. Uh, and so, so that got me thinking about it. But you know, when we came up with the name, this was 2019, and every company and their brothers were in the process of talking about digital transformation. And so we look at these things from a security perspective, an identity perspective, a governance perspective. And so as I started to think about it, you know, the, the, the biological, you know, chrysalis process is, you know, moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And you're in this, uh, it, you're at this point where you, you're this kind of amorphous mass that's very vulnerable. But, they, but there's a cocoon around it, right? So there's this hard protective shell. I see that. I saw it years ago. I see it even more so now, you know, as, as we're dealing with the, the, the rampant digital expansion, you know, driven by COVID and lockdowns and so forth. Uh, that's where you're most vulnerable. So it's security, it's identity, it's these pieces around it. You know, one of the things that, that, that I say that you guys probably agree with, just get, given the, the nature of this podcast but, but I honestly believe it, that identity is the most important element of a digital enterprise program, uh, di digital transformation, as a lot of the consultancies call it. So, you know, the, so, so that's the essence uh, behind, uh, behind Chrysalis. It was the case in 2019. It's absolutely the case now. 
and it really fits in with the theme of our company and our conference. Yeah, you bring up the concept of digital transformation. So I love that whole tie-in. But you bring up that that concept, and it's such a big concept that can mean so many things to so many organizations, right? And it's usually goes beyond just the nuts and bolts of IT, but starts to pull in other areas of the business. Jeff and I are still, you know, doing consulting. We're at um, RSM now, and we work within a practice called cyber transformation. To me, that starts to narrow down the digital transformation element or digital transformation into its element around cybersecurity. So to me, the term cyber transformation is all about what is the security Mm -hmm. component to digital transformation. So I just thought that was interesting that you brought that up because I think a big part for me is like when I hear these new terms like digital transformation or zero trust, it's like I have to be able to put it into some context that I can associate with based on my past experience. Um, I want to learn more about the conference. So um, who's it for? When is it occurring? Where is it going to be at? All that good stuff. Sure. The the conference is November 7th to the 9th. Uh, It's in the San Diego area on Coronado Island at the Lowe's Coronado. Uh, You can find out about it just going to techvisionresearch.com. Uh, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's going to be a small conference. It's, it's very content centric. Uh, there's going to be a, a really strong signal to noise ratio, you know, at the conference. It is, and, 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 and this is one of the reasons I appreciate the, the opportunity to, you know, be on a podcast like this. Um, you know, everybody says this, and, and I'll use actually a Burton Group Catalyst um, um, uh, experience to kind of ma- maybe give you a sense for, for how we look at conferences. Uh, so, you know, as Catalyst grew and we had, you know, thousands of people towards the end, but it was still very cut. You know, we didn't have exhibition halls and stuff. It was all about the content. It's all about how do we improve identity and security systems and so forth. But we would leverage the the group of people that was there and do some of these focus groups. So um, our VP of marketing at the time, you know, orchestrated these things. And you know, I was in a I was in a room behind you know the one way mirrors, and and so so they're talking about marketing messages, and they're there. You know, we're we're unbiased. We're completely vendor independent, focused on the end user, and so on and so forth. And there were about, you know, 10 of our bigger customers and prospective customers were in there. And they said, you can't use that because everybody says that. And then one of, one of the guys in the room uh, basically said, the case of Burton Group, it's actually true. <laughs> and then everyone was shaking their heads. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking to do with, with both Tech Vision and the conference is, you know, to make sure there's, there's so much hype out there to get real world-class experts in front of people uh, that honestly want to help the enterprise mission. So it's all about the enterprise mission. We, we have vendors participate, but even the vendor participation, we'll have a tech vision analyst, and we did the same thing with Burton and Catalyst. We'll have a tech vision analyst who will choreograph the session. You know, it might be privileged access management. So we'll say, you know, here's, here's where we see PAM. There's trends towards JIT PAM and, you know, some of these other kinds of things. Um, and, you know, here's, here's where we see the market, key user requirements and so forth. And then if there's vendors on the panel, we'll say, what do you think? What are your experiences with customers? Where are you going? Because, of course, you know, it's while, you know, you don't want vendor marketing pitches, uh, you we're not building this stuff. They are. So, so you do want to hear, you know, what, you know, SailPoint is doing and, you know, Microsoft and, 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 and the big companies in this space. So, so, so we, look to, we look to balance that. But even the people that we get, uh, you mentioned Jackson. Jackson from ClearSky, he's been in this space for 30 years. So to have him on a panel talking about IGA, 
you know, he'll give a great industry perspective, and then we'll highlight what ClearSky is doing in that um, area. Pam Dingle from Microsoft, you know, a very similar thing. She she came to our early Catalyst conferences. We worked with her for 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 decades. So you know, that's that's really what we're looking to do. Um, uh, and I guess one other aspect is that. Um, and no disrespect to any of the other conferences, ours, ours is just different. Uh, I think they're all great in terms of what they do. But um, our conference, it, you know, if you're doing a big conference, there's going to be a lot of great sessions, but they're all over the place. You know, you can go to, to this one and it's technical. This one, uh, you know, is, is business oriented. Um, the, the, the way we characterize Chrysalis and I didn't actually come up with this. Some of our customers did after our first conference. They said, you know, this is a conference with a story. So we look to link all of the pieces together from day one, day two, day three, from one session to the other. Because frankly, in the real world, and you know this from doing your consulting projects and ju just your work in this space, it's all interconnected. You know, identity is part of digital. It's part of security. It's part of zero trust. Now we have to think about privacy and regulatory controls. And, you know, sometimes there's, there's trade-offs between, you know, how much information can you collect from a security perspective without, you know, having too much data from regulatory control perspective. So, you know, it all plays together. So from it, and if it makes sense, I can kind of walk through the general structure of the conference and how the days will flow. Uh, but, but the whole thing is tightly choreographed to basically tell a story and on day three, we'll net it all out with a set of tools and so forth for the, for the enterprise attendees. So Gary, you also mentioned the piece about Pam. And by the way, we, we did an episode where we called Pam is dead. And what about a, how about a clickbaity title, right? Pam is dead. I got so many messages about oh that from people who are in the Pam space, right? Um, but anyway, uh, seriously though, one of the things that I looked at, like I was super impressed by the people who are going to be at the Chrysalis conference. But I also thought, okay, those are folks who all know each other. Mm -hmm. They've been in this industry for twenty plus years. If I'm new to the industry, is there a place for me? Am I going to feel welcome? How are you going to take people who don't know all these people and make sure that they don't feel like they're not in the in the group? That's 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 a great question. Um, you know, we will deep dive into certain topics where it's required. But that's part of the conference with the story, right? Where, you know, we're starting with, you know, where businesses are going, where enterprises are going with respect to digital. Um, over the last, um, you know, three years, um, a lot of companies were in survival mode. You had to get your digital connections out there in some way to survive. So now there's an opportunity to shore up the identity, the security, a lot of these pieces. So I think that will be helpful for somebody who, you know, maybe hasn't been as steeped in this over, over a long period of time. And then on day three, which will be a half a day, we're going to look at identity, security and risk and privacy and net it out, um, look at we we develop tools we call reference architectures. So we'll look at a reference architecture. Dan Bloom has put this fantastic capability together, on uh, and he's getting ready. We we had a meeting on it um, uh, yesterday to basically um, update his multi-cloud security reference architecture that takes all of security. It certainly ties into Nest and. Um, some of the things that are out there, but but brings it from the business perspective all the way down to the elements that are included. And it's a great checklist for organizations that are trying to put plans and processes and procedures. We've done a ton of work. That goes back to the Burton days, 
developing a capabilities-based security uh, identity reference architecture. Doug Simmons and I will walk through uh, that as, as well. And then Jill Phillips will do the same thing on the privacy side. You know, how do you develop a privacy program? How do you make some of those uh, decisions that need to be made uh, re relative to some of those trade-offs? I want to tease out some of the some of the key themes, you know, through the agendas as I'm looking through it. Um, you know, there's I think it really kind of kicks off with securing our digital future, which sounds ominous, concerning, scary. And how are we going to do that? Is there a way you can give us maybe kind of a sneak peek into kind of, you know, what is that actually going to address? Sure. It's I mean, that's my initial level set, which, um, you know, will basically have tentacles and throughout the entire program. Right. So a lot of the things that we'll be talking about during the course of, you know, the two and a half days will be the, the elements in terms of the identity platforms and IGA capabilities and, and um, um, you know, how do we scale some of these things? You know, how do we integrate some of these technologies? How do we secure it? Uh, how do we leverage AI and machine learning and, and all of these other capabilities? to have something that, that, that we call, I haven't seen a lot of research firms really look at it like this, but, but, but we don't just go with zero trust. And, and this was Dan Bloom's contribution early on. Uh, we, we characterize it as zero trust, zero friction. And, you know, and that, that's another great lesson learned over the you know, last two and a half years is, yeah, we can lock things down from a security perspective and, you know, have no customers actually use it because it's a little bit too cumbersome. So, and there's been several CIOs as we've done projects and CISOs that start with that. You know, we have to figure out how to make this more usable, how to make it more attractive. So, so, so basically these capabilities will, 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 will be, you know, ingrained. We, we have developed some top level capabilities, a digital enterprise reference architecture that takes the various environments and kind of brings them in place. And, and that's the whole concept of the reference architecture, what we do in security and identity and throughout. You start really big and then start to break out these specific capabilities that, that drive the, the, the business needs that you have. So the, the new digital enterprise, um, you know, is, is something that we actually don't like using the, the term digital transformation, because this is the way that most enterprises will do business. It's, or maybe it's constant transformation, but you know, we're, this is, this is the way of life for, for, for enterprises. We're seeing that three, four years ago. And obviously, um, you know, that is a substantive change that, you know, occurred over the last two years. I find it interesting, you know, zero trust is sort of like taking over the world. Like every every conference I've been to this year has been kind of a major theme. And I think for good reason. I think there are certainly valid concepts there that need to be, you know, part of a security strategy. And certainly identity is part of that. And I looked through the agenda and I noticed that there was one uh, from uh, Jay Schumacher, who is part of Honda's organization. Yep. Uh, he's the leads their IM. And he's talking about identity and zero trust. And I think it's interesting. This is not coming from, you know, quote unquote, an analyst, right, or a vendor. It's coming from somebody who's in the business and doing this on a day in, day out. Um, I love talks like that because I feel like I get more out of those and understanding sort of the path that others have taken, you know, the pain. I'm sure he'll probably share maybe some of the pain and lessons learned and things like that. And I think one of those things is it's always you know, it's, it's okay to get smarter, <laughs> right? Um, and sort of learn from those sort of effects. And, and I see other things like passwordless and, you know, upgrading modern authentication and decentralized. And there is a lot of really good topics. And I am like sometimes a squirrel. I go to a conference and it's like, I want to be in this one and that one and this one. And they all happen sort of at the same time. <laughs> and it's difficult to kind of consume it all at once, you know, um, and sort of be present you know, for those conversations. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to make it out this year or next year. Um, I won't be able to make it this year because obviously we'll, we'll be tied up with, with Octane, I think, which is at the same time. It is. But yep. You've got some really good 
topics and really good speakers. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's really cool. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing more, you know, after the fact is, as people kind of attend and consume it and see what their thoughts are as well. Yeah. And, you know, some of the topics like, like zero trust, um, you know, there's, there's so much marketing hype around it. I, I spent several days walking around and, um, in interviewing vendors and, and folks at, at RSA. And, um, there, there were two things that were more prevalent than, than, you know, Starbucks in a big city. And one was zero trust. The other one was AI, ML and security. And of course, both of those topics we will cover, uh, at Chrysalis, but you know, one of the things we spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, both on the consulting side and, you know, in terms of positioning in the industry is kind of the line of demarcation between the hype and the reality, you know, part of zero trust is just, you know, decade, decades long security practices. Uh, every time we talk about, and we'll hear this in the security legends panel, my my good friend, former colleague, Frank, Fred Cohen, uh, if you guys know Fred, uh, when, when um, um, he just hates the term. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's you know, that we should have best practices and we should have been doing this all along and so forth. That said, you know, they're, um, uh, you know, simple things, and this gets into the identity piece as well, simple things like the fact that, um, um, you know, I, uh, given, you know, how everything is being distributed right now, um, you know, shoot, we've been saying for, for 20 years, and I think it really is now identity is this new perimeter because what else are you going to do? And the basic concept of zero trust, where you're going to have a, um, 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 you're going to have somebody inside of the firewall and, um, that still isn't good. Uh, and you know, if you have all kinds of devices, some of the, you know, IOT devices, all kinds of ways to access information. We're highly mobile. Uh, you know, how, how can you lock things down? Um, it was funny. We were doing a, um, doing a research report, um, about two, three years, about three, four years ago on zero trust and networking. Sorrel Slaymaker was doing it. He was pretty new with tech vision. It just left Gartner. And, uh, so I got on the calls just to give a little bit of background about tech vision. I'm there, you know, I'm not really a networking guy, but I know something about identity. And we were on with Palo Alto and Centrify and, you know, all of the Cisco, all the vendors that were talking about zero trust networking. But then I noticed the entire discussion was about identity <laughs> and, you know, so, so, and, and Honda will talk about that. We'll, um, uh, we'll have General Motors talk a little bit about that on day two as well in terms of their journey, you know, into, into zero trust. But, you know, to have those end user case studies to round out the analysis, I think is great. So, Gary, at the last Chrysalis, which was in November of last year, uh, and it was virtual, one of the IAM legends who participated in that conference was Kim Cameron. And now Kim wrote the Laws of Identity. That was his, you know, his masterpiece, if you will, back in 2006. And it became an important part of how the industry looked at online identity. I think most people probably know Kim passed away in December and you were a close personal friend of his. And uh, we just wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe um, tell everyone what people should know about Kim. Um, th thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'll, I'll say something about Kim at, at, at Chrysalis as well. Um, you know, he, he loves technology. It's an unwavering passion for technology, but also humanity. And a lot of the, the areas that he, uh, got behind over the years, um, 
you know, tied into that intersection, you know, user-centric identity, which has now morphed into some of the decentralized identity and so forth. He was extremely uh, passionate about. As, as a person, he was absolute technical genius. Uh, and, and I had so many people um, uh, kind of give me feedback about this. Kim had actually reached out. Um, well, he had told his family before he passed to reach out to me because the family really, you know, was less cognizant of professional, um, accomplishments to write his professional obituary, which, which just brings tears to my eyes, even, even recollecting. Um, but several people stepped up and they said, you know, it's funny, you asked a question earlier about, well, what about the people that are new in this space? Uh, and I had several people highlight, that's just what Kim did. He made everybody feel like they were the center of attention if they were an absolute genius in the IAM space or just starting out. And, you know, he had that ability and the humanity. Uh, and he is driven not to, I mean, he's well known for the laws of identity. I got to know him in the 90s when he developed this meta directory concept that this company called Zoomit that Microsoft acquired, uh, we brought him in. He probably spoke at Catalyst like 20 times over the years. Uh, and, and the cool thing was, even though he's a Microsoft employee, he would make the, the, the PR people nervous because Kim would say what he was thinking about, you know, which doesn't always resonate with, with large organizations. It's one of the reasons we loved having him on stage, though. Um, so, yeah, just, just, and, and then the fact that, you know, I, 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 I knew things were not good, but the fact that it was like three, four weeks before that, he joined us on two panel sessions because we did it virtually. And that was, I guess, the blessing of doing it virtually. And I think Kim just loved this space so much. He just wanted to participate. So he was on our Identity Legends panel, and he was on our panel for decentralized identity, which is, as I said, was an area of passion. And he he had such an impact on on our industry and absolutely will will always, always be remembered fondly. I think that's probably like the highest praise that I can think of, of you know, professionally is you know, you made your mark. You know, it's it's a rare thing statistically where you know, people are, are, you know, that well regarded in their space, right? And they are, they, they go down into the legends category, right? If there was like a hall of fame for, you know, for identity, I'm sure he would be in there along with a bunch of other people. Uh, right. I think that's, that's absolutely. what we look for, right. Is, is everyone kind of want to make some mark and, and certainly he did it, which is, you know, good stuff. And, and such a nice guy, you know, it just, just such a, such, such a great person. That's even better. It's going to be so. I know we want to kind of wrap things up here and keep cognizant of time. Uh, we typically go to a lighter note <laughs> towards the end of the conversation. <laughs> um, so I guess in a little bit of sort of an awkward transition that will hopefully you know bring things back uh, to maybe. Uh, I'm sure there were good memories, but maybe you know put smile on faces. Is um, I want to end out this week with a question that came from our friend Tom Lennon over at SailPoint. We were talking to him earlier today. And, you know, I, I said, well, we're going to record later. And he's like, I got a good, he's like, I got a good lighter note for you. I'm like, well, good, give it to me because I don't have one yet. Uh, and that's just sometimes how, how we roll here is last minute. And he came up with this question, which I love. How many devices are currently connected to your home network? And how many do you recognize? Now, before we get into the answers here, um, I'm sure there will be uh, answers all over the place. Um, I will posit that. If you have, if you're a betting person, I bet I have the most devices on a network. If you know me, I'm a total nerd and uh, device geek. Uh, but who knows? Maybe Jim's a dark horse. Maybe Gary's the dark horse as well, right? That might have some stuff out there. Um, Gary, we'll start with you. How many devices are are currently connected to your home network, and how many do you recognize? I would say that um, it's a half a dozen. Uh, so I'm sure I will be on, on the low side, uh, you know, TVs, Wi-Fi routers, computers, may, maybe up to eight. 
Uh, but but it's 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 not a big number, and I I don't have a uh, refrigerator, washer, dryer, or some of the other you know IoT enabled devices. But most importantly, you have your inventory, so you yep. know what's on your network. And it sounds to me like you have a pretty good idea of what's there, and there are not things that you're wondering, hmm, what is that thing? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Jim, about yourself, uh, how many? Devices are currently connected to your home network. I'm pretty and sure I have more than Gary, right? I think <laughs> I've got a half dozen that I'm staring at right now, but I've got, you know, ring doorbell. I've got Wi-Fi enabled cameras and sprinkler systems. I've got two laptops. Sprinkler system. Wow. Yeah. A ratio, wow. ra- ratio or ratio sprinkler system. This is a great invention. You can set mm. your whole sprinkler thing through a phone app it also is connected to weather forecast so it will basically you can set it up to cancel if there's been a lot of rain you know things like that so it, you can really go heavy in terms of your configuration we can keep it very hmm. so how many devices do you think you have on your network then do you um, know so so the other thing is i have kids and they have friends and they all come over they all have phones computers tvs gaming systems i've got to have over 100 but no i don't have a i don't have an exact over 100 that's crazy it is i think i have over 100 all right well you've got me beat because i i'm i'm looking at my inventory right now i have 44 devices online as we speak a mix of you know everything you'd probably expect in a house right laptops computers phones smart devices cameras you know all that good stuff um, and I have a, and I know what each device is because I am one of those people who goes into, you know, my my router app, labels them so I know what they are. <laughs> I'm testing things to say, okay, here's this thing that says that it's you know from Shenzhen and it has like no name. It's like, all right, I think that's the camera. Let me go test it out. Yep, that it is. So, so yeah, I I would have thought I would have had had both you guys beat, but Jim, it's not, I mean, a hundred devices. That's that's nuts. Yeah, I well, so when I lived in New Jersey, I lived in a townhouse community, and people would always connect to my network. So I'd always have devices connected to my Wi-Fi. So I changed my Wi-Fi SSID to we called the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> I figure if people saw that and they yeah. connected to it, then you know they've got a higher risk tolerance than I do. I think I named one of my access points like FBI van number four. And, you know, I was like, well, wait a second. If that's number four, where are the other three? <laughs> right. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people again. looked around. Yeah. People <laughs> were probably looking left. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Uh, before we go, Gary, any final thoughts? I know we talked awful about the Chrysalis Conference, and it looks like a fantastic option for, for folks that are interested. Um, anything you want people to take away from this conversation we just had? Yeah. I- I think the biggest takeaway is if you're a large enterprise and you're trying to figure this stuff out, uh, the, the, the depth and breadth of, of presenters in a small venue, so you'll have an opportunity to sync up with them throughout the two and a half days, you will come out of this with a, a plan uh, input towards you know what you want to do in identity security governance uh, with 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 tools and capabilities. So it's again a very different you know type type of event. And and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Um, uh, I sense we could probably talk identity for like the next four or five hours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was it was very cool. And I got to tell you, uh, hats off for one, your selection of location. Coronado okay. Island is awesome. <laughs> uh, San Diego area, I'm totally a big fan of. But yes, I'm very familiar with that. And uh, it is definitely I, I you know, I, I'm not going to tell you that location plays into my conference selection, but it certainly does help <laughs> with uh, ones that uh, that are out there. So I was always a fan of uh, catalysts as well. I've been to a few of those and uh Having that in San Diego, there, I think it's at the, I think it's at the Hyatt right by Seaport Village. Um, that was always a good time. So, yeah, kudos to that, uh, Jim. How about yourself? Any final thoughts for this week? Yeah, I was just thinking about you know this topic of you know being at conferences and being the the new person. I think heck, everybody was the new person at a conference at one point, 
And I remember one conference that I was at that they had little, I, I don't know if you would call it badges or little flags that would go under people's name tags. And would indicate, you know, they're a member or, you know, whatever. And, and one of the flags you could have that said, first time attendee. And what was really great about that is you had the first time attendee, people would go out of their way to make sure that, hey, do you need any help? Or, you know, hey, my name is Jim. Because I, I, what kind of triggered that is like my attitude. And I would encourage everybody who, you know, whether you're new, if you're just more like outgoing oriented is to go out, network, make people feel comfortable, make introductions. You see someone who's shy or standing in the corner you know, not really um, part of what's going on, like pull them in, make them part of what's going on. At the very least, you're going to probably make a new friend out of the whole deal. So, you know, that's my attitude. And I would encourage everyone else to to do that. Spoken like a true social butterfly that you are. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, exactly. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. We will have links to Gary on uh, LinkedIn. So if you want to get in touch with him about something he mentioned, um, definitely reach out that way. Uh, also for Chrysalis, the conference itself, you can find Tech Vision Research, techvisionresearch.com. Tech All this will be in our show notes that you can find on our website, identityofthecenter.com. And uh, we're also on Twitter at IDAC Podcasts. And uh, yeah, don't forget, we'll be at Authenticate and Octane in a, in a few weeks here. If, if you're a listener, feel free to come on up. Uh, last year at Authenticate was the first time I had ever had a listener come up to me and say, Hey, listen, like, Oh, that's very cool. And I felt like Garth and, uh, you know, from Wayne and Garth and I was like, okay. And then, you know, kind of slinked away. So, uh, you can feel free to make me uncomfortable anytime. Um, that would be great. Um, all right, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.